it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Love this podcast because it crushes your dreams of getting rich quick. They actually got me into reading stats for anything. You're tuned in to the Investing for Beginners podcast. Led by Andrew Sather and Dave Ahern. Step-by-step premium investing guidance for beginners. Your path to financial freedom starts now. Starts now. All right, folks, welcome to Investing for Beginners podcast. Today, we have a very exciting show. We have somebody I'm really looking forward to talking with. We, our guest today is neurophysiologist and brain coach Louisa Nicola. Louisa founded NeuroAthletics to provide scientific strategies to help athletes and investors achieve peak performance. She also has her own wonderful podcast called The Neuro Experience, which you definitely need to check out. So, Louisa, thank you very much for joining us today. We appreciate your time and all your knowledge. And so I guess, could we maybe start with your background? Like, how did you go from world-class athlete to what you do now? Yeah. Hi. First of all, thank you so much for having me. Super excited to be here. The road that I took was extremely unconventional and unorthodox. So a bit about me. So I was born and raised in Australia. I was an elite triathlete. I somewhat retired from my career as as a triathlete at around 2012. I'd completed an undergraduate degree and I went back and studied medicine And I just fell in love with the brain. And I started working with elite athletes, more so around how can my athletes gain an extra edge by working on their brain? Because I thought, you know, I've got all this knowledge from understanding what the brain is and the brain controls everything we do. And I was really interested in understanding, well, why are these teams, you know, like why is LeBron James or even, you know, at that level, why are they not working on their brain? So yeah, in 2016, I moved to... America. And just by chance, I got picked up by some of the world's best athletes. So that's how I really started with neuroathletics in the athletic field. And in 2018, I spoke at a conference and there was a portfolio manager in the audience. And he said, Louisa, can you provide these strategies for other people outside of the athletic space? I said, well, I mean, you know, I hadn't been asked that before. I said, but of course, I mean, if you've got a brain, then you can really adopt these strategies. So 
the company now has not pivoted. We work in both fields. We work with the asset managers, portfolio managers, and Wall Street. And then we also work with elite athletes. That's awesome. So I listen to a lot of your shows and I listen to other podcasts that you've done. And something that kind of seemed to be a common theme was sleep. And I, I guess, can we talk about sleep? And this is coming from somebody that I struggle to sleep well. So can we talk about sleep and maybe how it impacts our performance and how maybe we can improve that? Yeah, it's so funny because normally when people have sleep problems, they've got trouble falling asleep or they've got trouble staying asleep. So I don't know which one you're in, but look, sleep is our, I always say this, it's our most underrated high performance tool that we have. And it's actually one of the core pillars that we work on at Neuroathletics. We work on three areas, sleep, exercise, and nutrients. So nutrition for brain health. And this is also to add up to brain health and better performance. So sleep, you know, if we're not sleeping well, first and foremost, if we're not sleeping long enough and we're not sleeping a quality sleep, we're just leaving a disadvantage at the table. Our reaction time isn't going to be as good. Our decision-making is going to be off. Our information processing speed, sleep serves as emotional first aid. So I would, you know, definitely caution everybody who's not sleeping well to not go out the following day and make any risky decisions. When it comes to sleep, let me just describe a bit of the sleep architecture for you. We have five stages of sleep, but there's two stages that are really imperative to the human brain. Okay. And the first one is our deep sleep. It's also called slow wave sleep because on an EEG, you see these huge, big waves, okay, of brain waves. During this stage of sleep, our brain goes through many things. First of all, it's in that stage that we get a lot of our hormones released. So for men, it's testosterone and IGF-1. For women, it's also IGF-1 and estrogen. So we have to be optimizing for deep sleep to get a proper release of these vital hormones. That's the first and foremost. Then the second thing that happens during this stage is our brain goes through this kind of cleared cleaning system. So this system in our brain activates. It's called the glymphatic system. I speak about it often. You've probably heard of it. And it happens during deep sleep. And it's responsible for cleaning out all of the toxins and debris. So if you're not getting into deep sleep at night, and many things kick us out of deep sleep, by the way, things such as light, alcohol, medications, stress, these all kick us out of deep sleep. So if we're not optimizing for deep sleep, we're not going to get the proper recovery that we need for both our brain and our body. And this is actually why people like Roger Federer and LeBron sleep at least 12 or 13 hours a night because they get so much protein synthesis that occurs during the night during deep sleep. That's kind of insane that it seemed like there was a friend there for a short bit, kind of before COVID, that everybody was talking about how little sleep they could survive on. Yeah. Oh. And now, you know, and now it seems like everybody's kind of turning back to like, you know, the ideas that you're advocating for, which I think are probably a lot better. So it's interesting that LeBron and Roger Federer would sleep that much. I think my mom would probably kill me if I had slept that much when I was a kid. But I mean, I wish. It, it sounds like a dream now, but my minimum is an eight hour, uh, eight hours a night. If I don't sleep that, it's a, uh, you know, and I track and measure my sleep every night. I just, I can feel it. That's the first stage that's really important. Then I will also touch on the second stage, which is REM, stands for rapid eye movement sleep. And that's because on an EEG, you'll see your eyes doing this horizontal, you know, fashion and 
that's where they coined the name from. And this stage is a, the emotional first aid. So this is where we can actually get our, you know, emotional fortitude, I like to call it during this stage. It's also responsible for memory formation. So, and also deep learning. So we learn things throughout the day, you know, just say you're young, you're in college, you're learning something. Learning doesn't actually take place during the day. That's the first step. The rest of it takes place during sleep. So if you are not optimizing for these two stages, you're not also optimizing for learning. You know how some people say, oh, you know, I just see my lecturer, I see my teacher writing it on the board and, and I, I see it, I just don't remember it the next day. That's because the deep learning hasn't been taken place during sleep. That's fascinating. Is there an optimal amount of time to sleep to hit those stages well? Like, for example, if I know I have eight hours to sleep or I have 10 hours to sleep or I have six hours of sleep, is there a minute integral interval where you can kind of hit those stages optimally? Well, here's the thing. You can be sleeping. And this is where it goes back to quantity and quality, right? You can sleep 10 hours a night or maybe let's just say eight hours. But I don't know if your sleep is actually quality sleep. So we generally like to say as a rule of thumb, a lot of people now are tracking and measuring their sleep through a whoop strap or maybe an aura ring or another device. When you look at that, generally you should have 20% of your total sleep time should be made up of REM sleep. So that's the percentage you're really looking for. And it's a two to one or sometimes a three to one when it comes to deep to REM sleep. So your deep sleep should be a lot more than what your REM is. But often what we're finding is people are waking up, and I've been guilty of this, waking up with maybe 10% of REM sleep, 10% of our total sleep time being in REM sleep or even deep sleep. And that's when you know that, okay, I slept throughout the night, I slept eight hours, but I didn't touch these stages. So then that begs the question, were you sleeping or were you just sedated? Which I guess what you do during the day has a lot of impact on that later on at night. Well, well, for example, alcohol, people think that alcohol puts them to sleep when in actual fact, the active ingredient in alcohol, which is ethanol, sedates you. So it doesn't put you into sleep. It just knocks you out. So you're not sleeping. You're just knocked out through the, throughout the night. Yeah. So we're talking about the different stages of sleep. So I guess, how can we improve our sleep? So the thing that I struggle with is I guess I struggle with both. I sometimes struggle with falling asleep. Then I also struggle with staying asleep. Like I tend to wake up a lot in the middle of the night and then have trouble falling back to sleep. So what are some things that we can do to try to improve getting to the REM sleep and the deep sleep? Budgeting was always a challenge for me. I struggled to find the best way to keep track of all of my money, not to mention all the time tracking down receipts, cataloging expenses, and trying to figure out what went wrong with my air quote system until Monarch Money. Monarch Money allowed me to easily see what is going on with my finances, helping me get a better handle on my spending, budgets, and more. It's my go-to app every day, more so than my bank, because I can quickly see where I am with my budgets and spending, allowing me to invest more and spend time on the things that I want to do. It's my GPS for money. Monarch is a top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all of your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash beginners. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. 
Monarch has built-in features to collaborate with your partner, family, or financial advisor. Invite them to your account at no extra cost, and they'll get their own login info and a joint view of all of your finances. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications, and more. In fact, Monarch Money is one of the first to bring you direct Apple Card, Apple Cash, and savings syncing with the latest iOS 17.4 update. Now you can sync your wallet directly for seamless budgeting. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash beginners. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash beginners for your extended 30-day free trial. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. One question. Are you waking up at around 4 a.m.? I don't have a clock on the side of my bed, so I don't know that. My phone acts as my clock, but I don't look at it. I generally just, usually I wake up because I have to go to the bathroom and then I come and then I go back to bed. And then, you know, the brain is like, oh, hey, you're up now. Hey, let's go do things. And it's, and I can't go back to sleep. The first part is let's talk about falling asleep. So when people are having trouble falling asleep, it's mainly because they've got an overactive mind. Their mind is just racing 24-7. You could be stressed. You could just be having an overactive mind. It could be something that you ate. Maybe you ate too close to bedtime. So some key things to put into place to fall asleep better and faster, which is decreasing your sleep latency is what we call it, is you want to try and minimize light exposure from around 8.30 p.m. at night. I'm not talking about completely, you know, dimming the light, but maybe you just want to dim the lights a little bit in your apartment or in your house and then having blackout curtains throughout the night in your bedroom, maybe sleeping with a sleep mask on. The second thing is, this is barring, you know, know, getting rid of alcohol and drugs. Let's, uh, you know, get that out of the mix. You want to try and have your last meal at least two hours or two and a half hours before you go to bed. And then if you're still having trouble, you've got these racing thoughts in your head that's not settling down, one thing that you can supplement with is something called GABA. So GABA stands for gamma amino butyric acid. It's our chief inhibitory neurotransmitter, meaning that it inhibits the neurotransmitters from firing throughout the night. So your your mind settles down, your body settles down, so you feel more calmer. You know, I even do that sometimes when I'm uh, struggling throughout the night to just settle my mind down. So that's that. The second thing is, depending on what time you're going to sleep, the main reason why most people wake up is because they've run out of melatonin. So melatonin is our, you've probably heard of it. It's our sleepy hormone, gets released in response to darkness. And this often runs out and that's why we wake up. And the worst thing you can do when you wake up 
is view light. So, I mean, maybe you should invest in some floor lighting for when you go to the bathroom so you don't have to have that overhead lighting up above. But how can we increase our, you know, our sleep time so we can be sleeping longer? One thing that I've been focusing on is temperature. So, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of a, a temperature controlled mattress. Oh, yeah. yeah, I've been sleeping on one for about 18 months now. And I got to tell you, it's made the world of difference. My sleep architecture has changed and also just the way I'm falling asleep throughout the night. So I actually said, and this is a bit, you know, advanced for, you know, most people probably wouldn't invest in a mattress like this, but I have it set to different temperatures throughout the night. So the melatonin, that is probably something I have dabbled with taking some melatonin as well as something called valerian root, which is newer to Mm me. I guess, what are your thoughts on those like supplements to help yeah. bridge that gap that maybe I'm struggling with. The yeah, exogenous supplements or especially melatonin is this field. It's very controversial because it's highly unregulated. And there have been clinical studies now to show that what they put on the label, especially in the US. So let's just say you get a, a bottle of melatonin, it says five milligrams on it. What they've found is that it actually isn't five milligrams. It just says that on the label. You're actually taking 100 milligrams. And that's scary because you're just pumping your pineal gland with all of this naturally secreting hormone that you already have. And also think about this. Melatonin is a hormone. We can get this without a prescription from a physician. But why can't we go and get testosterone or estrogen over the counter? It's just, you know, so we've got to think of it like that. It really is a hormone and you have to take it with caution. So I only really take melatonin in a very small dose. I'll take 2.5 milligrams when I travel to Australia to get me back on the circadian rhythm. So that's what I think about taking it exogenously. I also think with any supplement that you should just try what Mother Nature has gifted you first, using sunlight to set your circadian rhythm and doing everything I just said. And then if all else fails, maybe then start to incorporate some of these supplements. That's awesome. So Andrew, you look like you wanted something to say. Does exercise play a part? I think when we talked to William Green, he had a great book and he talked about how some of the best investors have talked about exercise actually being one of their priorities when it came to Mm. having high performance with their decisions. Does exercise play a role in any of this as well? Yeah, exercise is huge. And it's something that we focus on with our investors as well. I don't tell them exercise to look good or to lose weight. I'm just responsible for the neck up. Exercise, specifically strength training, and very low intensity cardio for long periods of time has been shown to be extremely beneficial for the brain. It can change the structure of your brain and the functionality of your brain. And that's really big because as we age, let me, maybe this is a question for you guys. Generally, my one-to-one investors, people who I work on with one-to-one around 49, I would say the late forties to maybe early sixties. That's where I'm working. And I would say that Many people, my question to you guys, what do you think average age is for a seasoned investor? That's a good kind question. Of, kind of over the map. I mean, we have a primarily seasoned. seasoned yeah. I mean, <laughs> we have a beginner audience that could go from yeah. 20s to 40s. So I would imagine, you know, we could have some in their 30s, but maybe a lot in their 50s. The reason why I ask that is because your brain changes as you age and it actually starts in your 20s, specifically 25 onwards and up. And a lot of people think, you know, these neurodegenerative diseases, 
you get, you know, diagnosed with in your late 60s, early 70s, they think that, okay, that's when it occurs. It actually starts happening in your 20s and in your 30s. And one of the best prescriptions of all time to mitigate these effects of the brain aging process is exercise. So exercise can change, like I said, the functioning of your brain, especially the prefrontal cortex. Now, most investors, it doesn't matter how old you are, they rely heavily on making sound decisions, correct? And obviously skill, but making decisions is primarily happening in the frontal lobe of your brain. Your frontal lobe houses the prefrontal cortex and that can age and that can also get inflamed due to stress, due to lack of sleep. And exercising, when you do specific forms like strength training, you release these things. They're myokines, they're muscle-based proteins. They get released from the muscle and they travel through the bloodstream up to your brain and they cross your brain through the blood-brain barrier. And then they go into the prefrontal cortex and they have an effect on your cognitive processes, such as thinking, information processing speed. This is actually the best time, it sounds crazy, but the best time to make a decision is within a 20-minute window of doing intense exercise. (laughs) I mean, it sounds funny to say it out loud, but I I swear I have some of my best insights while I'm strength training at the gym. I'm a big fan of that. I personally hate cardio, but I know a lot of people love it. So why? what is it about strength training that in this particular instance, makes it better for the prefrontal cortex? You know, the 90s and the early 2000s, when it came to scientific literature, was all about aerobic activity. Because when we first started experimenting on this, you could only really experiment on mice and you couldn't get mice to lift weights. So they found (laughs) that they found that aerobic activity was great for the brain because it increased BDNF, which is brain-derived neurotropic factor. It's a growth factor for the brain. But then they started doing studies, and this wasn't until around 2012 onwards, they started doing studies on strength training, and they found a whole wide of different approach to it, and it was much better. What they found was that these myokines that I mentioned, okay, these muscle-based proteins are only released during strength training. So literally when you are doing a muscle contraction, think about a bicep curl. It's got to be under stress. This is not, you can't just pick up a small weight. It has to be 70% of your one repetition max to be exact. So when you put your muscle under that tension, it releases all of these hormones. One of them is called cathepsin B. One of them is IGF-1, insulin growth like factor one. One of them is irisin. And the other one is interleukin-6. And these go, they literally that we have receptors okay we have little binding receptors all over our organs on our liver on our heart and on our brain and so these myokines when they're released they just travel through the bloodstream and when they go into your brain they can have these effects so i mentioned functional effects so it helps with your thinking and your cognition but there's also structural effects so there's an area in the brain just deep in the temporal lobes, just called the hippocampus. Have you heard of the hippocampus? It's like the C-shaped, seahorse-shaped structure that's mainly responsible for memory formation, et cetera. We can actually grow new brain cells, new neurons within the hippocampus from activity like this, from strength training. So that's another huge reason why we should be doing that. So I guess... As somebody who doesn't necessarily like strength training, does aerobic, do you get 
any of these sorts of benefits from aerobic activity yeah. or you do okay yeah so but here's the thing the aerobic benefits come in two places they come with bdnf first and foremost the second thing that i believe aerobic training does is it strengthens your immunity because you can train your mitochondria that makes a lot of sense all right yeah. so we talked about strength training we talked about aerobic activity is there a time limit like is you know kind of like with the sleep is there mm-hmm. an optimal level that you need to achieve to get these benefits What's the best way to get started in the market? Download Andrew's ebook for free at stockmarketpdf.com. Yeah, so you'd want to aim for two hours of the aerobic activity a week, and then you also want to aim for three strength training sessions per week to get these benefits. Okay. And does it matter whether you're doing, I don't know, like upper body stuff versus lower body stuff, or is it just no, the, the, just strength training is strength yeah. training? You really just want to do strength training. And by strength training, I mean lifting weights. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. So that's kind of <laughs> interesting. So, you know, it's also kind of interesting because I'll be honest with you, when I think of some of my favorite investors, fitness gurus does not spring to mind. You know, mm. Warren Buffett drink, you know, cherry Cokes and eats McDonald's and, you know. Does he? Uh, yeah, he does. <laughs> you know, a lot of these other people that I think of, I don't think of them as fitness gurus, but I'm sure that this definitely, definitely does help. Well, look, I, when I speak about this and obviously speak on the science of it, would you put Warren Buffett in the pool of, you know, everybody else in terms of comparison? Because I would look at him and not put, yeah. So I, you know, a lot of people say, but Louisa, how do you know? Does Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger, do they sleep? And I'm like, well, I mean, do you really want to put yourself against them? And you want to even put maybe even Bill Ackman up there too? Like it's, Different ball game. No, totally. Just like I would not want to compare myself to LeBron or Michael Jordan. Yeah. Trying to play basketball. It's, those are the heroes and I'm a mere mortal. So it's interesting that we're talking about all this stuff. One of the things that I've always been kind of fascinated about is like habits and routines. Mm. And why does our brain like routines? Why do we like building habits? What is it about that seems to excite us, I guess, if you will? Your brain loves you know, being very structured every day. It doesn't like to be surprised. The main reason why your brain here is, you know, existing is to keep you alive. So it doesn't like to be unstructured. It hates when you're inconsistent. The best performing people are the people who are waking up at the same time every day because your brain really works on this 24-hour clock. And so it gets very into this habit-forming practice. And this is also generally because we have this thing called neuroplasticity. And if you can imagine your brain, there's, you know, there's over 80 billion neurons in the human brain, anywhere between 80 to 100 billion neurons. A neuron is a brain cell or a nerve cell. And they fire together. And every time you produce an action or a thought, it's like a car driving down this highway. And the more times you do it, the more accustomed you know becomes with going down that same highway. So every time you go down that highway, you're strengthening this thing called the myelin sheath. And this, you know, it's this fatty insulating coat that uh, surrounds the axon of the actual brain cell. And so that gets strengthened and that gets thicker. And then you're able to do things at a faster rate. So you keep going down that highway your brain cell is like, oh, we've been here before. We can just accelerate the pace a bit more. We can accelerate the pace a bit more. That's why people who are doing thousands of hours of practice become good. So it loves routine. But here's the thing. 
it favors whatever you do most. So if you're doing a mistake constantly, you may not know you're doing it, it's going to favor that. And that's how you're going to go into that default system of your brain has created these pathways. And that's why it's hard to break a habit. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. When I was a musician, my guitar teachers used to always talk about perfect practice makes it perfect as opposed to practicing mistakes, not going to get you where you want to go. Yeah, that's and that's actually very correct. Unfortunately, though, we don't know sometimes when we're young what the mistakes are that we're making. Yeah, exactly. So how does the idea of routines and building habits, how can that impact our decision making? So if you are able to build the foundational routines that are good for your brain and good for your body, it's going to in turn affect you on a human level when it comes to decision making. Decision making is a product of, yes, past historical performance. Yes. So you can say, been there, done that experience. But it's also very dependent on how well your brain is performing. That's actually like literally something that we put out there. Basically, if you want to generate alpha, if you want to get that extra edge, you have to have a well-performing brain. And if you get into these habits, it's basically like compound interest, right? Mm -hmm. If you, let's just say you have a habit of only sleeping six hours a night, maybe in your 20s, it won't affect you. But that lack of sleep, Okay, so your sleep deprivation compounds and it compounds and it compounds and it comes to bite you in the backside in your late 30s, early 40s. And the way that it gets you is your inability to make those sharp decisions. You're, you may be one day, you know, flying high because I've actually had this. We had a portfolio manager. Um, he had 50 billion under asset management and he was, he came to me and he was saying to me, Louisa, I'm just not feeling good. And I said, well, what's the matter? He said, I don't know. He goes, I'm just, I'm underperforming and I don't know what I've done. I've assessed my strategy. I've consulted with my team and I, I don't know what is happening. This is not taking, you know, the market was fine. He had, didn't understand what he was doing. We did a brain scan on him and his brain looked 65 years old. Oh. I said, why are you so young? But your brain looks like this. So we looked back historically He said, well, ever since he got into the game in his mid-20s, maybe it was earlier than that, he was only sleeping around six to not even maybe four to six hours a night. So these bad habits compounded. And now his brain, it was we saw thinning of his cerebral cortex. So his brain was actually shrinking. And that's what happens just as we get older. But he was accelerating that. So if you've got, if your your prefrontal cortex isn't working optimally. You're not going to make decisions. And not just that, your rate of making a decision is increased. So what took you an hour before may take you like five hours now. So developing these habits of sleeping better is not just setting you up for now, but also setting you up for when you're in your 60s. I keep saying that because a lot of people now probably listening, they're like, I don't have to worry about that. I'm in my twenties. It's like, well, you know, it does come back, trust me, even earlier than that. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. 
If you're listening to Investing for Beginners, then you probably care about money and learning how to make a good relationship with your finances. Everyone's Talking Money is hosted by money wellness expert and certified financial planner, Shauna Game. Everyone's Talking Money focuses on relevant, inclusive, and forward-thinking conversations around money. Hear about the money topics you need to know, such as ways to train your brain to reach money goals, why you should ditch your budget and start tracking your cash, and everything you need to know about paying off student loans. Simple steps to start investing as a side hustle, ways to invest in rental real estate, how to overcome money trauma, and so much more. With over 900 episodes, there's a show for any and every money question you have. I'm a big fan of Shauna's as well. She has a relatable style and soothing voice that takes some of the stress surrounding money. Shauna really speaks to the listener and never ends in an episode without actionable tips. I recently listened to the episode, Stop Stressing Over Your Money, a simple budgeting solution, where she talks about her simple, easy one, two, three system for budgeting. It helped me a lot. Are you ready to learn everything about money that no one has taught you? Do yourself a favor and subscribe to Everyone's Talking Money podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Well, I mean, I'm 55, so it's definitely top of mind for me. And, you know, one of the things that I've been struggling with on a personal level is as I've gotten older, I relied on my memory for everything. I didn't write things down. I just, I don't know what your thoughts are on the whole photographic memory. I don't know that I necessarily had one, but I was able to visualize things and remember things very easily. And I still have that, but it seems to be less effective than it was five years ago. And I had a heart attack recently and I'm on beta blockers and I have read that those help inhibit some of your memory. And so I've had to learn different routines and different habits to try to stay at the same level that I am. So I speak directly to what you're talking about. It, it does impact you. And as you start to get older, you have to change. You have to learn to adapt to those things because you know it does compound. What are some of the practices you've put in place To help myself, you know, I've done things like I try to write things down more. I've tried to use some apps on my phone to help me remember things. And I also make sure that I verify things with people more than I used to. I just try to rely on different kinds of... I've tried to set up systems such that if I write something down, I will also put it somewhere electronically so that if I do misplace the paper, I have a backup of it with the electronic part of it. And I also talk to the people that are in my life. And if we have something important going on, like if Andrew and I were having an interview with you today, he sends me a gentle reminder, you know, make sure that I remember that, hey, we got this going on today. Not that I would forget, you know, it's just a way of helping trigger some of those things to try to stay on top of stuff. Yeah. And look, um, without going too much into it and without being personal, you can probably look back and, you know, see some of the events if it wasn't genetic that maybe led to this experience. And I'm actually seeing this a lot on Wall Street. And it's these practices that you don't put in place, the stress that can get to you, you know, the stress of, you know, my, the example that I gave you earlier, the stress that my portfolio manager had with having so much money under his belt. He used to say to me, Louisa, I am constantly stressed. I don't sleep because if I make a wrong decision, I'm going to cost my clients millions, tens of millions of dollars, and they've got families and then this and, you know, things that I haven't even heard of. So all of this stress that he was placing on his body throughout the years was affecting his performance and his brain. And, you know, in some instances, it can affect your heart. Yeah, exactly. So we're talking about some of these, you know, stressors and stuff. I guess that kind of leads us, how can stress 
impact our decisions. What can we do, I guess, lessen the impact of stress? Yeah. So there is this other hormone and they call it like the Goldilocks hormone. It's called cortisol. It's our stress, you know, our stress hormone. So it can have an effect. We can have this thing called inflammation. You know, when you sprain your ankle and you get, you know, inflammation around the ankle, the ankle, it swells. Sometimes inflammation is a good thing because we need a bit of it. But when it's chronically inflamed due to chronic stress, it's a bad thing. That's why it's the Goldilocks. Not too much, not too little, just enough is right. So when you are constantly stressed, you are creating a constant inflammatory response. And this happens in your body and in your brain. It's called neural inflammation. And it shows up as anger, disruption in your mood, uh, lack of sleep, fatigability. And this in turn has like this has detrimental effects on everything. And you just can't make, it's not even making right decisions. You'll see yourself unconsciously make these decisions that you think, oh, I never used to do this. Why am I doing it all of a sudden? Your brain is always trying to keep you alive. Remember I said that. So therefore, if it's chronically inflamed, it's got to try and fight for the survival. And so there are so many different things we can do to manage this. And one of them is evidently sleep. We've spoken about exercise. What about nutrition? Of course, no smoking, no drinking. We know that. A lot of my portfolio managers, for some reason, choose to drink after 4 p.m., try and get them to stop doing that. And that's proven very hard, but, you know, we're getting there. Mm. I have to give them literal, you know, threats of death. But so <laughs> let's just take, you know, drinking and smoking out of the picture. I call it a miracle nutrient. It's called omega-3 fatty acids. It comes in the form, so it comes in three parts, EPA, DHA, and ALA. And these are so important for your brain. They can help you in many ways. And one of them is it gets inflammation under control. So if you can be supplementing with this every day, because it's, it's very easy. You don't have to go out and eat, you know, eating fatty fish is great, but you don't have to go out and eat, you know, 10 kilos a day. You can be supplementing with omega-3 fatty acids. That's just one thing that you can do to help optimize your brain. Okay, so there's these key nutrients. The second thing that I'm finding a lot of uh, investors and young people doing is not drinking water. It sounds as simple, but if you've got just a mere 2% dehydration, you're going to see a 28% decrease in your ability to make decisions. So there was a wonderful study done out of Harvard. Always reference it because I think it's like crazy because at times, like right now, I may even be a little bit dehydrated. So Focusing on hydration with water and electrolytes will be another key thing to your performance. That's awesome. So let's talk about hydration a little bit. Mm. So how much water should we consume? And you also mentioned electrolytes. Can we talk about that a little bit too? So water, how much should consume is really dependent on who you are and your activity output. But as a base minimum, three liters. I mean, you're going to have to do the uh, conversion. I'm still an Australian. But uh, I always say that three liters minimum is what you should be ingesting. That's even without exercise. And here's the thing with electrolytes. So remember how I was telling you about your brain cells. Mm -hmm. So the way that they communicate with each other, we provide this thing called a synapse. So it's when one neuron connects with the other one. And this synapse is like an electrical impulse. And that is generated through this pump. It's called the sodium-potassium pump. Sodium-potassium are electrolytes. So for your brain to really function, 
you need these electrolytes. You need adequate sodium, potassium, selenium. And another thing that we're not noticing is when you do exercise, if you do sweat, you're not just sweating water, you're sweating out sodium, potassium, zinc, selenium. So you need to be replacing that with electrolytes as well. Or you're thinking and you're going to get that brain fog. You know, when you wake up, you're like, oh, my brain's all foggy. You're going to get that in the morning as well. You know, when I think of electrolytes, I think of Gatorade. <laughs> so yeah, well, that's sugar. Yeah. You know, I'm of that generation that that's what we think of. What is a better way to get electrolytes than Gatorade? So I would strongly recommend finding a quality supplement. For example, I'm an advisor at a company called Momentus, and they have by far the best quality supplements on the market. They're triple certified. So when it comes to standards in America, you have to be certified and they're triple certified. So you know that the quality of their products is next to none. So you need to be having that. So basically you can get this jar of electrolytes or even, you know, whatever you want and you just scoop it into water and you shake the water and yeah, Drink. much better than Gatorade. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. Sorry for all the Gatorade people out there. So, but yeah. yeah. Okay. So We've kind of talked about, I guess, the way I would look at it is like three pillars of our health. And we're talking about sleep, we're talking about exercise, and we're talking about nutrients. I guess we didn't touch on food. So how can the food we eat impact the decisions we make? Well, I always say stay away from sugar and refined carbohydrates. But you also want to be looking at how can I get the maximal amount of energy output from my brain? And when we eat we naturally get lethargic because all of our blood supply is going to our stomach to digest the food. So I always say try and backload your meals, meaning closer towards the end of the night, that's when you can have, you know, have a big dinner, for example. Don't have your huge meals during the day because it's just going to make you lethargic, especially for somebody who is in this investing standpoint. And then I don't prescribe to any type of meal in terms of any type of diet, like vegan, vegetarian. I eat everything. I think that red meat is a huge benefit. It's got so many nutrients that can provide your brain and your body. But when it comes to brain health, it is the omega-3 fatty acids from fatty fish that you want to look at. Yeah. I am a type 2 diabetic. And so I've really embraced the kind of intermittent fasting idea. And that really seems to help. It helps control my diabetes. Oh, yeah. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. I'm a big fan of it. So it's, it's kind of weird because I grew up, you know, breakfast was the meal. You had to have breakfast. You had to have breakfast. And now I don't eat until noon at the earliest every day. And so that just seems to work for me. Yeah, actually, another thing, because I've got a lot of diabetics that I work with, I don't know if you've ever taken, if you've ever had a CGM, continuous mm -hmm. glucose monitor, mm -hmm. what you can do is one of the best ways to control the postprandial spikes, which is the spike in glucose after you eat, is to exercise and get your heart rate up. Mm -hmm. I've managed to do that every time I eat something. I actually start doing like air squats <laughs> I don't know if I'm quite that dedicated, but it definitely, <laughs> I could definitely see how it would definitely help. So yeah. that's awesome. So we've kind of touched on all these three pillars. So how can we kind of wrap this into how can this help us make better decisions with investing? Like how can we kind of create a, I guess, a plan that could help mm. people become better investors by making better decisions? So the first thing I would say is get a notebook and start studying yourself. Look at the way you sleep. If you wake up at night, you know, jot down the next day, woke up at 2 a.m., 
went to the bathroom, write down how many hours of sleep that you got and start to study yourself because as you would know, you can pick up on patterns. You can pick up on these patterns that, you know, you may think to yourself, well, I slept bad, but I also had two glasses of wine. So maybe that's why I slept bad. So once you can get out all of the little risk factors, start to start with one thing, always start with sleep. Don't, I always say, I fight with many people on this, but I say start with sleep because sleep can control your hunger as well. So you don't want to start with nutrition. Start with getting the basics. Sleep before midnight. I generally say 10 p.m. is the best time to sleep. Sleep for a minimum of eight hours if you can. So 10 p.m. till 6 a.m., which means that, I mean, be asleep at 10 a.m. So go to sleep at around 9.30, go to bed at around 9.30. And then once you wake up, go out and get some natural sunlight to wake up your circadian rhythm. And natural sunlight has to be outside. You can't just get this through a glass window. So just start with that for two weeks. And then once you've got that underway and you're feeling great, because I know you will be, then you want to start including other things. Like you may say, well, I'm going to eliminate alcohol and all of the bad food. And by bad food, I'm talking refined carbohydrates and sugar fried foods, et cetera, because we all know what's good for us and what's not. Mm -hmm. And then if you feel like you really want to optimize your performance, you can have a look at supplementing. At the end of this podcast, I'll lead people to my profile where I actually have all of these different stacks, like brain optimization stacks and what I take. So that's when you can start doing that. And then you want to include exercise. Maybe start with two days a week of strength training and make sure you keep it really hard. And once you start getting on this, it takes a while, it may take six months to get these underway. Once you do this, you can develop these habits. It will play out in your life. It will just, things will just come to you that you just didn't know existed. That's awesome. I love the kind of the organization of that. And I have this phrase that I drive Andrew crazy with. It's called eating. You have to approach things like eating a pizza, not healthy, of course, but you can't eat it all at once. You got to do it piece by piece. And I love the way you kind of structured that. So you can just kind of work through those different steps to help people get where they want to go. Absolutely. Yeah. You've got that. You've got that right. All right. So Louisa, this is amazing. I learned a ton and I know our our listeners will as well. If people want to learn more about you and the things that you're doing and, and what you have going on, where can they go to learn more about what you're doing? Yeah. So for all of the uh, social media savvy people, I am on Instagram. I'm very active on Instagram. It's just my name, Louisa Nicola. I'm on Twitter. I'm on LinkedIn. I have a podcast, which is a very well-performing podcast called The Neuro Experience. It's on all major platforms. Um, And then if you go to the Neuro Athletics website, neuroathletics.com.au, you'll see everything on there in terms of our blog, our weekly newsletter that goes out to over 50,000 people. And we are going to be releasing our investors brain health course, which will be coming out very soon. Oh, that's awesome. Very cool. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Louisa, I want to thank you very much for your time and your expertise. Uh, This was amazing. I really enjoyed the conversation and you did answer all my questions. So I appreciate (laughs) that. And I guess without any further ado, folks go out there and invest with the margin of safety, emphasis on the safety. Have a great week and we'll talk to you all next week. We hope you enjoyed this content. Seven Steps to Understanding the Stock Market shows you precisely how to break down the numbers in an engaging and readable way with real-life examples. Get access today at stockmarketpdf.com. Until next time, have a prosperous day. 
The information contained is for general information and educational purposes only. It is not intended for a substitute for legal, commercial, and/or financial advice from a licensed professional. Review our full disclaimer at eInvestingForBeginners.com.